Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to Bardi's Book Club. This is an Extra Inch podcast. Today I'm joined by John Greken. We talk about his new book, Revolution, and Postacoglu, The Man, The Method, and The Mastery. This book is available now to pre-order on Amazon. We talk about Postacoglu's upbringing in Australia, his wilderness years, his impact at Celtic, his man management style, and how he's getting on at Spurs. Go and buy this book now. It's a brilliant insight into this wonderful, wonderful man. Now, the interview. Hello, John, and welcome to the Extra Inch podcast. How are you doing? Absolutely great, mate. Lovely to be here. Hey, they say in life a lot of a lot of success is down to down to timing and getting things right. And you seem to have picked the perfect moment to um, to release a book on Postacoglu. I'd rather be lucky than good. <laughs> <laughs> So just just to get out there, the book is called Revolution and Postacoglu, The Man, The Methods and The Mastery. And um, I have, I've got to start with a confession. Um, a lot of our listeners will know this about me, but I, I'm not going to lie to you. I was an Ange skeptic. I was very pro Conte. I wasn't pro Mourinho, but I kind of believed in, in the myth and the appointment. So... Um, I've seen some of the managers I've supported end in tears and flames. So um, why is Ange different from from those people? I can understand people being sceptical, and I think there was a degree of scepticism when he arrived at Celtic as well. A lot of people would now claim they were never sceptical. All my friends (laughs) who are Celtic fans, no, no, we always believed in the guy. Um, And there was scepticism when he got the job in Japan with Yokohama F. Marinos, even among players and directors. So he's had to to battle that the whole time. He understands that coming from Australia, where there was no, when he was growing up, there was no professional football. It was all part-time and mostly part-time during his time there until the A-League came up. He had this ambition at age 10 years old to 
coach in a World Cup. That was the ambition he set for himself at age 10. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I liken it to like Commander Chris Hadfield, who was the International Space Station commander, who had a dream of being an astronaut. He's a Canadian. And at that point, by act of US Congress, you had to be American to be an astronaut. And he, he just believed it and kept working away. But it was, it was that big a dream. You know, it was like, how do you get there? So he understands that there's been scepticism and he's had to win people over every step of the way. Do you think that's what's made him... So, well, it's always... Obviously, it's early days. It was six games in, uh, as we talk now. But do you think that's what's made him so so good in what he does? I think there's a whole combination of things. I mean, he's got masses of experience. You, you, you talk about this because he's a new face to us, but he, you mm. know, much nearer 60 than 50. He's been doing this since he was a very young coach. And, I mean, he coached his school team at age 12. He was player coach, the very first soccer team that Praran High School ever had, you know, and borrowed Aussie rules kit. And, um, so he's been doing this for a very, very long time. The other thing you'll notice with him is his absolute belief in what he's doing. There is no, you know, there's no wavering. And he says it. he says to, he's told young coaches this, if, if you want to find out your playing style, imagine you've got a game this weekend. And the outcome of that game will decide whether or not you're a coach, whether you be, have a coaching career or you have to go and do something else. What are you going to do in that game? He says, now, if your instinct is to say, right, I'm going to go four five one, make it tight, keep it locked in, you know, then that's fine. That is your coaching style because when the crunch comes out, it's your coaching style. His coaching style is to go out and try and score loads of goals mm. and play the way he plays. Yeah, that has been um, that has been something we've seen, and it's it's. It's almost like his constant shouting from the line is, is play, play, play. Um, have, have you met him? Have you have you spent time yeah. with, with him? Yeah, met him. Not I would not claim to have spent a lot of time with him. Very limited access during his time at Celtic. I've since been in company in his company for a very short time. Um, so n- not really. I made the decision right at the very start. When first, first of all, I was approached by the publishers and they said, "Would you like to write a book about?" Ange Postacoglu. Um, I had never written a book before, despite 30 years in journalism. I said, and all my friends who'd done it had said, you've got to be interested in the subject. It took me about half a second to say yes, because I just found him fascinating. I found his story fascinating. And I took two decisions right early on. If you if you go to the person themselves, it becomes an autobiography type thing, or, or, or does it? Also, they don't always know what the defining moments in their lives are. They don't. They maybe don't recognise. They've got their idea of what it was. But I, I went to. So the second decision I made, sorry, was to go to Melbourne, to go and spend time living in the old neighbourhood of Praran, you know, being there, speaking to people, and, and what you get is people have the, their very clear memories of either the first time they noticed something about Ange or the first time they met him. Or so you've got his his, his pals from from school saying, yeah, mm. I met him age eight and he was already an organiser. He was trying to tell the coaches how to do things at South Melbourne. You get these little stories and vignettes. So and I think you get a different type of book that way. Uh, you speak yeah. to people. So I've spoken to people who work with in Australia and Japan. You know, it's it's been a really interesting journey. Yeah, I was going to ask that around the kind of logistics about writing a book about one individual. Um, yeah, so just going out there and speaking to people, and it must be—it's like 
like he grows his 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 aura must just kind of grow around you as you as you're interviewing these people so did you say you went to japan as well no no i didn't didn't quite stretch to japan but i knew melbourne was the core of it i knew that's where mm. it all started if you want to find it now you wouldn't it's kind of old-fashioned journalism as well this is the way we would have done this um even when i started out you you'd be like like go you know like we've <clears throat> been sent to buenos aires is maradona dying the first time you had a heart attack, just go and write the piece, go and speak to people and, and do these things. And it, it's a very expensive way to do things. And there were discussions with the publishers about this, but we, we decided it was worth going. If, if you were writing about Sir Alex Ferguson, you would visit Harmony Row Boys Club in Glasgow and Govan. You, you mean, that's where it started. So the idea was to visit the people at South Melbourne where it began and it grew. It, famously Australian way of doing things. I turned up, I think, on the Wednesday night and I had one meeting in the diary the following Thursday morning, 11 a.m. or something. So I got in at midnight, got up, didn't know what day it was really. And everyone else had just said, oh, yeah, mate, just just call when you get here. Just rock up in that Aussie way. And, of course, when I got there, they were like, oh, you're here, brilliant, I'll see you at 4 o'clock. And every single person I met almost was like, oh, i tell you who else you should get, mate. And they reached their phone. Mm. But I'll text them just now. Yeah, you'll see you at 6 if you want to meet him in this bar or you want to meet him there or phone him and arrange something. They were all so... And it's like you say, this aura, there's there's clearly a lot of people been touched and influenced by what he's done. Yeah, we're seeing um, that, that there's the advert kind of running at the moment about being, about Australians becoming Spurs fans and becoming like a, a Spurs apologist. Um, what is his kind of, what's his fame out there? What's his kind of impact on, on Australia and football out there? Oh, he's huge now, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the first, the first one. What does he call it? The first one off the rank. The first to come off and and, and take a coaching job. Um, even at Celtic, um, <clears throat> they had. Again, the folk at South Melbourne said they would have people in watching Celtic games in the clubhouse at whatever time in the morning. You know, they they'd all get together to watch Celtic games because it was Ange. Um, and then to go to the Premier League. I mean, it was huge. English football was huge when Ange was growing up. It was a big influence on his upbringing, so it's important to him. But the Premier League in Australia now is, as it is all over the world, is massive. So for an Australian coach to go out there and, it, it you know, to, to be a coach at one of the famous clubs as well, it's, it's no disrespect, it's not as if he's taken on a team that's been up and down. And This is Spurs, for God's sake, right? And mm. this is huge. So there'll be a lot of Spurs fans. Um, and I think it's important because he... He represents. He represents Australians when he's over there. He's in, you know, you know, raised in Australia. Dundee was coaching there. You know, played all his football there. He represents the Greek community in Praran as well because he's at he's little Angelos Postacoglu. He's the boy, the boy from Praran. That's hugely important. And I always feel that he probably represents Japanese football as well because of his time there. I think he's proving that that the game there has something to offer. You know, that Japan has something mm. to offer to, to football. It's not just some backward. And you will still have Celtic fans and Scottish football fans who look with interest and are like, yeah, it's good that he's succeeding there because it shows that it's not just, you can't just, you know, anyone can come up here and win a league or win a treble. Yeah, it seems like he's he's almost done his like, journey to the <clears throat> Premier League backwards. We're so used to, in the Premier League, people just almost getting jobs based on who they are or how they kick the football when they were players. And he's really, he like Lampard, Solskjaer, the rest of them, he's really kind of earned his stripes throughout those, throughout those kind of different experiences. And he seems to have collected 
a group a following a mass following and i think that's that really speaks to him and i could see when you talk about him you smile now you, you need to come clean you're you're not a celtic fan no no i'm a race rovers fan so not really a conflict of interest mm. we don't play celtic very often and we're probably not going to play spurs in european competition anytime <laughs> in the next thousand years <laughs> But he um, he seems to have had an, an impact on you. And there was something interesting you said before we started recording. Do you, I mean, I don't know if you want to admit that, but would, would you like to repeat it? Oh, yeah, he's made me a Spurs fan, without a doubt. <laughs> now, so, like, I'm someone who's never had an English club. Like, everyone in Scotland has an English club, and I never really had one. You're kind of like, oh, well, when I was a kid, you know, Doug Leash was at Liverpool. And by the way, that's, I'm nearly the same age as Ange. So we'll have a lot of the same, you know, Doug Leash was his hero, Doug Leash was my hero, that was simple, so mm -hmm. Liverpool there, Fergate Man United was like, oh, that was really good to see a Scottish coach doing well. Uh, but all, when I worked in London, I did always um, <clears throat> enjoy going to the lane. I loved it. I loved the whole uh, the atmosphere. It was like a proper football club, you know? Mm. So there is a lot of us who are still still huge fans of, of the old stadium. I'm not, I, I admired the, the old stadium and I enjoyed it on certain moments, but I don't know. I think perhaps as I've got older, I've enjoyed being able to get to the loo and get to the bar <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, the, queue, the queues at the bar at the lane were always insane. Yeah. Right behind the press box. If you wanted to go out for a pee, you were like, oh my God, I have to fight through all this. Yeah. <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't do the two things at once. Um, no, watch the game and have fun. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm part Italian and I'm a pessimist always when it comes to football. So... With um, Postacoglu coming to Tottenham and his journey that he's done, like, what's his ambition? Is uh, uh, should I be worried that in in twelve months' time someone else will come knocking for him? Is how ambitious is he? Oh, hugely ambitious. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there was any doubt. It was funny because he was he was Celtic manager when I started writing the book, but we were very clear at the start it it was not going to be a book about his time at Celtic because. Mm everyone knew about his time at Celtic it wasn't going to be about that it was going to be the story behind it and as soon as the Spurs interest came up I'll, I'll not name him but one of the guys at the publishers was like I'm not sure he'll go you know and I was like mate he is off if Spurs want him he is off again we come back to he was watching Match of the Day and reading month old shoot magazines and every biography he get his, his hands on when he was a kid coming up uh, in Melbourne so so English football is huge he has moved. You know, he spent he spent time out of the game effectively at these wilderness years when he was working with the community club, setting up a youth programme and, and doing the Fox News or Fox Sport, sorry, very different, the Fox Sport punditry thing, um, trying to get back in <clears throat> before he got back in with Brisbane Roar and then created Roar Salona, as they called it, um, this this fantastic team that still holds the record uh, for his undefeated or winning run in Australian sports. So he spent time nervous. He knows, he, he, you know, he knows his own value. He knows that he's gonna. If it's right for him, it's right for him. You would think that if Spurs have the right model and give him the right support, though, where else can you go? What's next after that? You know, what's because you would then be looking at Champions League every season. You would then be looking at potential. I know Man City have screwed it for everyone mm. with the money. <clears throat> but you'd be looking at why not have a title challenge. So, you know, he's a boyhood Liverpool fan. That was his his club. Um, maybe that would have an appeal if if someone. But again, you would have to look at. He would probably weigh it up and go, "Well, are Fenway better than 
Mm. And Spurs, in terms of what, what you'd have the resources and the ability to do, he's very aware of his own of his own values, own worth, and his own ambition. He wants to win things. Um, he wants to build a brand of football. He, he, you know, it's not just chasing trophies for him. It's about doing something transformative at a club. Yeah, I, to be honest with you, if it gets to the point where Man City <clears throat> are looking to him to replace Pep or Real Madrid or someone else comes calling, then then he's been extremely successful, and I suppose yeah. that's. I should be. We should be happy about that. You um, you touched on something which I've not heard people reference with Postacoglu, and is the wilderness years. Can, can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, yeah. He he obviously he lost um, or left the the his first job with Soccer Australia um, when he was young soccer's boss. Um, and there's a famous kind of you can still see it on YouTube his kind of ten minute interview by Craig Foster, former mm-hmm. pundit. A former player turned pundit. They are now friends again, as it were. But it was like the uh, Brian Clough, Don Reavy famous TV appearance, but with more edge to it. Mm. And it got really snarky back and forth. And But he also knew his time. He was getting dismantled. Or, or They were dismantling of the way things were run, and they kind of threw him out as kind of old Australian soccer. So he went to Greece to do a, little, uh, a lower league club. Um, they had some enjoyable adventures there I think would be the way I mean Greek football Greek lower league football I think there were some some uh, enjoyable times there but he came back yeah, and he had you know almost like the phone wouldn't ring so he was helping out the Whittlesey Zebras were a kind of semi-pro amateur team he was doing a little bit with them but he went to Nunawading FC which is this grassroots community club um, I've, I visited there and it is it's like it's kind of like my own club that down the road here, Edinburgh South. Just a real grassroots community club with a clubhouse and a little pitch and some training areas. And, and he helped set up this youth program. And he changed everything. He had ten-year-olds playing out from the back. And he was, you know, he was. And you speak to the people there, and they love him. They absolutely love him. And there's a there's a mural on the wall which has Johan Cruyff, Pep Guardiola, and Ange Postecoglou painted on the wall. You know. So he he did this during his, his time away. He, he kept busy, he kept relevant. He did the Fox Sport punditry. He would be on other programs. He would try to, to keep his brand high, which is you know, the smart thing to do. And then I think there was a bit of you know good timing. You talk about luck and good timing and getting the Brisbane job. <clears throat> and then what he did there was utterly transformative. You speak to the people that were involved there. Changed it, you know, football that had been based on kind of four, four, two, get it forward, get the guys turned, and he just said, no, no, we're going to play this way, and I think, you know, he's had a, he's had a clear out there, he's had clear outs at a lot of clubs, um, with players who couldn't do it or wouldn't do it, so yeah, but the inter- the, the wilderness years were were an interesting time, you know, um, and and that I think that made a big impact on him. What happened with the young soccerers as well? He decided that he wasn't going to compromise anymore. He wasn't going to try and play a way just to protect something or the way he thinks people should think he played. He just was like, nah, fuck. Was it Jerry Lee Lewis said, if I'm going to hell, I'm going to play on a piano? Yeah. Like a bit of that. <laughs> so we, we've seen that, especially recently in the North London derby where we were being pressed and he refused. A lot of other managers, a lot of other teams would have just started booting it long, but he doesn't believe in that. He believes in repeating and doing what he's done. Um, has his football changed in his adventures from those early days in Australia, then moving back through Japan? Has there been a big change in in how Postecoglou's teams play? Yeah, there, there's been changes in evolution. He's not—he's never standing still. He's coaching for what happens in five years' time. 
he's trying to predict what happens in five years' time. He would not follow a trend. He's trying to set the trends and be being ahead of it. So I know, for instance, from speaking to people that work with him in Japan, that the um, like the inverted fullbacks that everyone talks about all the time, that came about in Japan just from a little change that he noticed something about the fullbacks not being able to do something different, so he pushed them in there. Um, he's always evolving, always looking for the way to do things. And it, it's funny when you speak to players who played under him, and if you you speak to, say, that, imagine the team has conceded a goal from trying to play out from the back from a defender, and the defender has put his hands up knows he's sold the jersey. When it comes to the analysis session, he will focus on the strikers. Where the hell were you? Why were you not offering? Why were you not in that position? We talked about this rotation. You've got to be there to give him the easy out ball. So he would flip it on his head all the time. I mean, it's not just the guy who's got the ball who's made the mistake there, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, I think I think that's clear. There was, you know, the Premier League has a lot of problems, and one of it is arrogance. And I'm sure, as um, as, as a fo- Scottish football fan and writer, you you probably see that quite a lot. Now, his um, his achievements were downplayed by a lot of the media, and they they still are to this moment. Where was he done? Because I, I think there's almost like an opinion that anyone who goes to Celtic wins things. But um, yeah, I, yeah. T- tell tell me about what he <coughs> did at Celtic to to change to change that team. Oh, Celtic were in a real state. I mean, they 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 they'd blown it, and they were there were issues. The fans were in open revolt. Um, it, you know, it it's not as easy as everyone makes it out. You know, there's been some really good managers here who haven't won titles. Um, he went in there, and this is the great thing. He did the same thing as Spurs, didn't he? He goes in without an assistant. So. Eddie Howe had been talked about for a long, long time at Celtic, and they kept thinking they were getting him. And I think he wanted, you know, three assistants, an analyst, a strength and conditioning guy, uh, a physio, his chef, you know, <clears throat> which is, by the way, that, that's the modern manager. They will do that. This is my team. Mm. I'm bringing at least three, three other guys. And he just went in there, and he said himself, you have to convince those people that you are for real and, and you know what you're doing. And so that's the way he, he, he treated it. He went in there, John Kennedy, who'd been caretaker and been part of the previous regime, other coaches in there, and won them over and said, this is what we're going to do. Let's get on board with it. So, and he just changed, he just turned everything around. Turned everything around. His confidence is, it's incredible. It's, he's got a real belief and, yeah, an unshakable belief in him. Has... Um, but it's always. I mean, you mentioned what went wrong at Scotland. But since Scotland, has there been any setbacks? How has he dealt with um, adversity or, or things going against him? You mean at Australia? Sorry. Yeah, sorry. With Australia, yeah. sorry. Yeah, I mean, everyone has everyone has setbacks and disappointments, and you know, he come he comes at it from a, a point of view. I keep trying to explain this to people. In his view, playing this way is not a gamble. That's not. Like, well, it's risky. He has, you know, grown up with football, studied football. Again, it's heavily influenced by his dad, which I think everyone knows about by now. Mm. This is the football his dad would want to watch. But he, it's not just because of that. He wants, he plays this way because he thinks you want, I'm finding a way to win games and deliver success. If we play this way, I've got a better chance of delivering success. <clears throat> That's everything. Every, every coach is looking for 51%. You know, in a 50-50 game, they're looking to be the 51%. They're all looking for a way to do it. Um, and one of his former players said, who's now a really 
respected analyst in the game and that's another thing quite a lot of his former players end up as coaches and technical directors and things like that he said you know it's easy to beat the better team sometimes but you want to be the better team so you could go into the Champions League and go yeah we're just going to sit 5 at them we're 5-4-1 here we go we might lose 1-0 we might get a, a sneaky 1-0 win out of it you might get a draw but his argument is like well that doesn't teach us anything we're, we're not going to get any better doing that because next year we might want to change it and play differently and we've had no experience of playing against this level of opposition playing 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 or whatever and, and trying to get movements and rotations and buildings from the back yeah, I always feel that's a good sign of a, of a good manager with, who's got good ideas and good process of doing things. If if almost like his disciples, the people that work for him, end up going on and achieving, because there's, there's a history that Ferguson's done, even even Jose, people like that, they've done that. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. So um, you're clearly a, a Ange fan and a believer in him, but have you been surprised by how quickly he's taken to Premier League football? Yeah, I am, because the, one of the things from studying him is quite often there's a, a difficult betting in period. Mm. Um, and he's spoken about that, about how he, he actually enjoys that difficult betting in period because he knows what's coming. He knows there's something coming around the corner and everyone else is doubting it. But... Um, yeah, he, he, he's been through difficult opening spells, even at Celtic, um, in Japan, other places. He's had these issues where it takes a while for players to adjust. When I think about it now, when you try and, you know, you always think retrospectively, and you go, well, maybe it was always going to work better because he had players who are extremely capable of doing it. At every other club he's gone to, he will probably have had players who were like, I'm a little bit uncomfortable doing this, Gaffer. This is... You know, just because of the way they've they've played, um, they did not have the resources. So you're talking about you you had had footballers, fullbacks in particular, who are good on the ball and used to playing a certain way, but suddenly you've got to go into central midfield, receive the ball in the half turn, know where you're supposed to be, know what your number eight is going to be doing off you. So there's a lot to take in. So I think maybe in retrospect, he's turned up at at <clears throat> a club where just every Premier League club is going to have players, isn't it? He's going they're going to have, as we've seen in Spurs, young players 
who haven't got a look in before, but oh my god, look at them. <laughs> actually potentially world-class footballers so he must be like, like like a kid in a candy store at times yeah we you're right we were all bracing ourselves for the six month problem yep. of and talking about what how will we react if come november we're 10th 11th in the league then how will we still because there was a big swell of support because we just almost got rid of a, a tyrannical regime before him so there's a big swell of support for him and everyone was like really hyped for uh, for Postacoglu, but there was that question: How will he survive a bed and in period? But it just it just hasn't happened. It's just he's just hit the ground running. And individuals like Pedro Porro, who we had no idea could play as an inverted fullback, has just taken that on. And Madison, we knew Madison was good, but he's he just seems to be like an exceptional talent under under Ange. I love that with Madison signed because it was like, oh man, he is such an Ange player. He's yeah. so smart. We are going to go way back to his time on loan up at Aberdeen here. He was just a young player, and you were like, okay, this kid's got it. He's got not just the the ability on the ball, which you see a lot of young players, but he had the width and the composure and the kind of swagger about him. You're like, that's what, man, that is perfect for Ange. And even when Harry Kane left, <clears throat> you were like, I'm not sure that that killed Ange in any way. I don't think it really, you know, he knew what he could do and he knew what he could do to try and keep him. He would have been trying to keep him, but it's like, well, you know, you find a different way. You find a different way to work. Mm. He he was really thrown into that drama, which was nothing to do with him. And he did come out, but he handled it really well. And there was a lot of a lot of pressure on that. Yeah, he, he didn't make it a drama. Mm. You know, he, did, he didn't. He kind of gave everyone space to go on and do what they wanted to do. And, and I think everyone knew eventually it was going to end one way, maybe. You know, when it comes down to it, for different reasons and no hard feelings, no grudges. And if there is a buyback clause, I'm sure he would take him back. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Postacoglu, in in light of like certain managers in the Premier League handling individuals quite badly, he seems to have a a good man management style. Um, do you have any insight on how he how he handles his players? Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's it's odd. Sometimes he's just like as separate as the voice of God. Right, he doesn't really engage a lot, and players have described him as being almost authoritarian uh, and kind of not really, not not one for small talk. Put it that way. Right. They all know he's deeply invested in them. He's deeply invested in making them better players and helping them. So he does care, and they know mm. that. They know he's on their side. But he's not Mr. Chit Chat, how's it going, mate? How's how's the kids sort of you know, like having a chat with people. It was great last year. We're at a game. So I'm gonna say a Scottish Cup tie. So he's juggled the squad, Celtic squad around and given some fringe players game time. And after the game he was asked, So um you got these fringe players that don't play a lot, how, how do you keep them happy? And he looked genuinely stunned. He was like, Mate, it's not my job to keep first of all, there was the mate, definitely the mate, which yeah. you know you've touch the nerve mate it's not my job to keep them happy what am I supposed to be doing making them cups of tea sending flowers to their wives this is not to play for Celtic mm. you know they've got a comp they've got a chance to compete for a place every week so he's a little bit like that um, yeah not one for small talk I think there was a I got told the same anecdote by like three or four different people about when he was young Socceroos coach and he would always bring in young coaches to help so say they were away on a training camp for a week and the young coach goes to like the team manager and says have I done something wrong? This is why. He says, well, it's been like three days here and the, the gaffer hasn't spoken to me. And he's like, oh, mate, you're all right. It's when he talks to you. That's when you've done something wrong. So 
and he, he made this decision very early on to cut himself off um, and be separate. And I think he, he knows that he would have had a richer life, a more interesting life if he'd gone the other way and he would have had more friendships and life experiences with people, but he felt this was the way he had to do it if you're going to be a manager. Um, and he's still got, listen, he's got his close-knit group of people uh, and other coaches as well who he will talk to across different sports uh, when they all just together, get together and moan about directors and players, I think. See, that's that's just so strange to hear that because like, you, like Harry Redknapp was always like the kind of arm-around-the-shoulder manager talking yeah. to the players. And then we've had two of the kind of most brutal, vicious managers, Mourinho and Conte, who just just like to, to murder their players. And then Postacoglu somehow, according to what you say, found a gap where he can be, he can be like dad, but he's not dad, and he can be manager, but like, yeah. yeah. So what he, how does he delegate then? I guess through his coaching team, they, they handle the, the day-to-day personnel, personal stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. I mean, he's, you know, you don't want to paint the wrong picture of him. He's not some ogre or anything. He's, he's extremely personable and extremely, mm. you know, and players all said that, that I spoke to, they could make a knock on his door if they had an issue, you know, and say, listen, I have a, a family issue or something like that, can I? And, and he would be understanding and all that. But he's just not one of the lads. And it, I think it goes back to, goes way back. I spoke to a lot of his old teammates for when he was captain at South Melbourne. Um, and they were like, he had this ability to be, uh, it was one of the words used in, an idiot in the dressing room, right? <laughs> that was the exact word used, I think, like one of the boys. And then go and have a chat with Ferenc Puskas, who was the head coach, as if they'd been besties for years, talking in Greek, because Puskas had, had coached in Greece. He says, and then go into the board and represent the players on things like bonuses or training facilities or whatever it is and kind of put on a, a different persona so you had this interchangeability and I think a lot of that comes from without getting too deep into it, it comes from the immigrant background um, mm-hmm. if you, get, you know, move somewhere at a, at a young age you become a master at speaking either a different language at home or, a, or with a different accent and different words at home or just bridging the gap between two worlds uh, and he's done that I don't think we can underestimate that part of his personality you know he loves his Aussie rules and Loves his cricket and uh, really into all the Aussie sports because he's a, an Aussie bloke who's been there since age five. But he's also got this incredibly strong Greek heritage. And if you go to Praran today, it's still heavily Greek influenced. I mean, you wander around Praran market, you'll be salivating at the moussaka and the souvlaki and everything that's on sale there. It's mag- magnificent. I've wandered off topic. I'm hungry. It's lunchtime. I could always, <laughs> I could always talk about food. This was after football. It's my, it's my favorite topic um i move seats in the new stadium now so i used to sit in this right in the south stand but now i sit towards the corner flag and to my left is is Postacoglu for every home game and he he's his aura on the touchline is very different to what i'm used to he seems exceptionally calm is that is this how he always is or is this just something he's he's found at spurs He's, he's, always, he's never a, a huge ranter and raver. He's listen. I think if, you, if you're a coach, you have to understand that once once they go over that line, you're you're limited in what you can do. He will point things out. He will give instructions. He's got his assistants there. But it it comes back to that belief, doesn't it? If you believe that what you're doing is going to get results, then yeah, of course you would be calm. I think it's the, the certainty of a, a true believer. Mm. Yeah, it's it's definitely his his assistants that get pick up the yellow cards because nowadays managers get, get carded quite often. That's a good 
assistant's role. That's the role of the assistant. If the manager's ever going to lose it, you jump in there and get mm. sent off to the stand, mate. <laughs> Just so he goes, oh, God, he's gone mental. <laughs> um, at Spurs, they, we've started to, to... So the Extra Inch podcast is, but we're very um, tactics and um, and data-led podcasts. Well, the other two are. I'm more about I'm more about the passion. And um, Poster Cogley's spoken about this in in the recent fans forum. What kind? How, what does what does he look for in in players? What's what's his kind of perfect sign? You mentioned James Madison. What else does he look for in individuals? Well, see, I'm really into the analytics. Not not necessarily the data. I've got um I've got UEFA coaching licenses. I've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, advanced tactical analysis courses at Barca Innovation Hub University. So I, 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 I'm a nerd, basically, is what I'm yeah. trying to say when it comes to this. Which is one of the reasons, actually, the publishers came to me. They said someone yeah. that can add a little layer to it. So he, I mean, he obviously looks for comfort on the ball, ability on the ball, certain athleticism, a certain ability to be able to play his tempo of football. Um, but I spoke to one of his oldest friends and a guy who played decent level football. It's now like CEO of a globally renowned recruitment company. Okay, he's like, and he quotes Ange all the time when he's at conferences. He uses little tips from him. He said he's just got this knack for recruitment. He knows, and it starts with the culture. Are they going to fit in the culture? Because you can get to, particularly if you're in a Premier League club, we've we've seen this, right? You you can, it's not quite unlimited funds, but compared to everything he's ever had, he can get. And he'll have 10 world-class right-backs in shopping. And he needs to decide which one of those is going to fit. And they can all do this brilliantly. And they can all do that brilliantly. And and maybe all the stats and all the data and all the video footage and all the times you've watched them have shown you the same level of performance across all 10. And that's where the extra comes in. How are they going to fit into this culture? And we've seen that with, with clubs. Now, having done a few um, talent ID courses as well through the SFA and being on UEFA courses and things, FIFA courses, that they're really getting into this now across football and in, in trying to dig into the personality because that's such a huge factor. So it, there was a, a scout said to me when he was when he was bringing all the Japanese players to to Celtic, he was like, "He's just taking the piss." He said he's just dangling his rod over there and getting the best play because he knows it and he knows mm. them, you know. And Kyogo Furuhashi came in and, and suddenly I was bumping into Premier League scouts at grounds going, "I can't believe you know I'm getting my arse kicked for not." for not picking this guy up from the J League and now the club are like how much would it take and you're like well 35 million quid probably um, you know and Maeda and Hatate um, but he treats them all he treats them all as individuals he said it's wrong to lump them together just because they've come from the J League um, but yeah he's just got this this eye for it he says himself it's like when his wife goes shopping for clothes she knows what she wants he just knows what he, he just knows what he needs you know so he's deeply involved in that as well in, in all the recruitment side of things Okay, so that's so that so it was clear at Celtic that he had a big impact on the players that come in. So do you think at Tottenham he'll he'll demand that as well, or he'll trust the the teams to do it for him? I don't know. So it's a bigger organisation, bigger bigger operation, isn't it? Um, it's it's kind of it's, I always find it's kind of hard for managers going in. Say you're on a three year contract at the best, or five, you know, and you're like, well, I'm gonna set the transfer policy for the next ten years. It's it's kind of odd. There will be. I'm assuming you guys got technical director. In fact, I know they've got a technical director and director of football, and uh, I think there's a link there somewhere, isn't there? Between Ange had known Ange or something like that. So Yeah, so the, yeah, there was a city group tie-in. Scott Mann, yeah. Yeah, 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 sorry. So yeah, he'll trust people, he'll trust them as long as he knows what, 
whether on, but I would think he would have the he's certainly gonna have the final say who plays for him, so there's no point getting a player who doesn't fit, you know, mm. in what he wants to do. So And um he seemed to be quite he's very he, like what you said, he's very once he's made up his mind. So there's a few players at Spurs who've been pushed out. That's the they it seems like their career is over. Is there a redemption? Does he does he allow people to play their way back in, or is once he's made up his mind, that's it? That's a hard call. Um, in the past, there's been a kind of a testimony of people who were his assistants. Supposed the guy who was the, the translator out in Japan who had some magnificent stories about the winning players over. There seems to be a feeling that he'll come to an agreement early on if a player says, "I'm not into this," or if it becomes clear. I just I don't believe in this. Then it's not done in a nasty way, but it's like, well, fine, you'll need to find somewhere else because, mm. you know, this is the way we're playing. There's no, I'm not changing it for you or for six of you or ten of you. At Brisbane, I think he he got rid of loads and loads of in, you know older, more experienced players. Craig Moore, soccer is great. Um, some Scottish players, guys had won like overseas player of the year the year before. Um, the established players because they were playing in a specific way and it just became clear that they couldn't do it so yeah I don't think you would never say never yeah but but it's, the past history shows that he's kind of made his mind up or allowed players to make their mind up early on to say look this is what we're doing can you do it do you want to try to do it if you don't want to try to do it you know we'll, we'll find something else massive turnover at Yokohama I'm pretty sure I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. It's in the book, but how many they they turned over in that first year? Um, and again, at, at Brisbane in particular, they there was a lot went out. I think twelve went out or something. Um, didn't help in the fact that some of them then became regular pundits. Um, <laughs> and I think even his, his predecessor's manager was a, a pundit, and they made a slow start. <laughs> there mm-hmm. was a lot of you know being on the outside of the tent, pissing in that went on before he got things right. Yeah, I, I think everything that you said there, just when it, the question was, would Kane leave or not? Because he wasn't a classic kind of Postacoglu forward, I was okay with it. And I, I think perhaps deep down as well, perhaps Andros, I know we're, we're trying to second guess him now. But I, I, think I, just, he I think he would have been fine to have Harry Kane in the team. But you know, would, I think he'd have been delighted to have Harry Kane in the team because he's, he's flexible enough to know, yeah. mate, he's one of the best strikers in the world. I'm finding a way... No, so John, John, that's not, not the story. We can't, no. he, we don't want, he wasn't He wasn't any good anyway. He couldn't square the ball. <laughs> he couldn't take a free kick. I, I was at Hamden a couple of weeks ago. He looked all right. <laughs> yeah, because he's, he's having a nice time out, out in Germany. Um, so your your book is available now to buy on pre-order? Uh, yeah, on pre-order now. It's out on October 5th, which is like next week, which is terrifying. A little bit <laughs> out already, yeah. And I don't know how it works, but Amazon already say it's a bestseller. I don't know how that works, but I like how it sounds. <laughs> that's great. That's that's, um, that's that's really good to hear. Yeah, um, perfect. Thank you so much for for talking to me about Postacoglu. He's a uh, he's a man who who has just run into our hearts. Um, I've never seen a Spurs manager get get this many people behind him so fast, and it's been. I mean, I as I said right at the start, I was a skeptic. But he he's won me over, and he's got people banging the drum and singing his name already. And it's like he it's like he's almost like he was almost created to to manage Tottenham. Just everything that he how he talks and how he plays just just suits us so beautifully. 
Yeah, he gets it. He gets the club as well. He gets yeah. the kind of the, the the Jewish immigrant background thing. He's 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 got that hold. As soon as it came up, it was like, oh, that's such a good fit for him. Yeah. Such a good fit. So I'm glad it's working out. Obviously, for reasons <laughs> other than selling books. But I did also... fond memories of Steve Archibald back in the day. <laughs> yeah, he who we during COVID we went back and did some kind of like live watch-alongs of games during Archibald's reign and. I have to say he was he was a beautiful player and immediately I was I was kind of drawn to him. Yeah, I loved him. Absolutely loved watching him play. I, I remember the UEFA Cup final, 84, mm. 85. Yeah, that was I remember watching that as a teenager and being like, well, just just like uh, that kind of that kind of interesting, a little bit interesting Spurs then for a bit. Then I kind of went back to Douglish or something. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, just the final thing of Postacoglu. I think it helped the reaction of the of the Celtic fans when he left because when we when we signed Mourinho the United fans were like good good riddance you've got you've <laughs> you've you've picked up our problem when Conte left Inter it was burnt bridges as well and even though they were like you've got signed a good manager they were like you signed a nightmare everybody every Celtic fan was distraught that he'd left and yeah I think that was that was a good sign for us yeah definitely definitely he's got He's he's left some some really interesting memories there and some strong links and there's actually a really interesting chapter in the book about the Celtic links going back a lot further than anyone thinks actually so there's some interesting stuff uh, thanks Lovely. to one of his, his great old teammate Steve Blair so yeah I didn't want to ask you too many specifics about the book because I want people to read it and yeah. sometimes people people just reveal everything so we we want people to go out and buy it. Um, I think your publishers promised me a copy, which we will then uh, I'm going to read, and then I'm going to give it to one of our listeners in a in in a little quiz, a little um, yeah, little competition. But everyone else should just go out and buy it and read more, get more Ange content because that's what we all want right now. Yeah, I had someone in the other day joking and laughing, saying, "Oh, you've got it on the shoulder, behind, uh, like over your shoulder on the, on the shelf." I'm like, "Mate, you're lucky I'm not doing this." Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Buy the book. Buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it goes really well for you. Thank you so much for your time today. Right, Anthony. Really appreciate it, mate. Take care. Take care.